0: Hello and welcome back to the Cannabis Investing Network Podcast. My name is Manish. Happy 420, everybody. And do we have a special episode for you today? Joining us is the Maven himself, the co founder of New Cannabis Ventures and 420 investor, Alan Brockstein. Welcome back to the show, sir.
1: Thank you so much, Manish. It's great to be here.
0: Well, it's great to have you, Alan. And, you know, there's a lot to chat about since we last chatted. Um, and I want to make sure people know that, uh, your 420 investor is opening to the public now on seeking alpha on May 15th. So a little bit after this comes out, uh, but Alan, it's great to have you back. It's been a very tumultuous time since we last chatted, you know, how are are you doing? How are you feeling about things?
1: Well, so I, uh, I, I don't know if your audience knows this, but I was almost killed a year ago and, and, uh, I'm the luckiest guy ever. A, I'm doing better physically. B, I'm happier than I've ever been, wow. which is kind of weird with what's going on in the cannabis market. <laughs> but uh, I, I, my life is so much better now and, uh, in a lot of ways. And uh, I'd say that's that's really you know how it's going. I'm a very lucky guy.
0: Yeah, absolutely you are. And I think all of us uh, breathe a collective sigh of relief you know, to see you okay after such a traumatic incident. Um, and you had a, uh, a post which, which came out today, uh, which today is Easter Sunday where we're recording, uh, talking about resurrection, right? The, yes. The, when will the cannabis stocks be resurrected? Um, and I thought you had a great parallel to your own life where you said, hey, I was resurrected a year ago. So, so there's hope <laughs> yeah. for, there's hope for the industry maybe.
1: Well, you know, I wish that I could draw from my own experience that conclusion, the timing of that conclusion. But yes, I do think the cannabis industry will be resurrected, but I can't say when. I I wish I could tell you when, because that's what people want to know.
0: Absolutely. For sure. No, no question. So look, I think what we're going to do today is just jump right into it. And we talk a lot about, you know, broad uh, factors, macroeconomic factors. But I think what we have... Uh, had a lack of is discussion of nitty gritty ticker specific names. Uh, this is something that you actually do part of your your weekend video uh, where you go through a bunch of names. And I thought it would be fun to actually kind of replicate that today where we go ticker by ticker and we talk about specific issues, what you find interesting um, you know what you don't like, and where you think the most interesting opportunities are. So, if you're, you'll indulge us on that. Um, yeah, that can, sounds great. We can jump right into it. So, let's kick it off with uh, the index, which has obviously had a lot of news, good and bad, uh, a lot of sentiment changes. MSOS uh, advisor shares ETF for the cannabis industry. Uh, you have written negatively about this ETF several times. So. Tell us, what's what's so bad about MSOS?
1: So, you know, a lot of things, and uh, I have written about it, both at Seeking Alpha a few times and at New Cannabis Ventures. Mm-hmm. And uh, my issues are that it's not run very well for an ETF because they're overly concentrated in the five largest names. That's 78% right now mm-hmm. in the five largest Uh, MSOs by market cap. And they have a sixth one in there too, that pushes it up to 86%. And I think that, you know, I I can understand how that happens, but I think without blaming them for that, Mm -hmm. but I want to tell investors, this is not the way to invest in cannabis. I don't think that picking the largest companies by market cap, way out of proportion with their market caps, by mm-hmm. the way, is always going to work. It may work some of the time, mm-hmm. but I think uh, right now it's really bad. I think that you can dig drop down just a little bit and find some much better valuations.
0: Okay. I like that. And we're going to dive into that as we keep going, right? But yeah, I guess one of the problems too is that the amount of money that was poured into MSOS, um, putting, you know, being able to take that and then buy these, you know, not very liquid underlying securities on the OTC. There's a lot of names which may be interesting, uh, but if you're trying to put, you know, 25 or $50 million to work, uh, just don't have the liquidity to support it.
1: Right, right. So I I think, so part of this argument about why MSOS is bad. I just told you why it's not good for investors. Mm-hmm. It could be bad for the market because mm-hmm. as you just pointed out, the liquidity is not good. And it used to be the MSOS would always close right at about at its net asset value. Mm-hmm. And now regularly it's at a 1% or more discount. And they have already had some liquidations and I, what I fear, I'm not predicting it, but what I fear is that they're going to get a big redemption. And they've already sold almost everything except for about eight or nine names. Mm-hmm. And that's my concern that if they turn around, they're, they're a little bit leveraged right now, by the way, which I also disagree with. But uh, I think that that's the risk to the overall market
0: got it and certainly we've seen you know on the way up we saw the the inflows and the the buying causing these weird price spikes at the end of the day right yep, and yep. and now we've had a very small amount of selling in relation to the all the buying that took place right but certainly very painful when we see the reverse of it happening right and sentiment shifting from being hey MSOS has been like the savior of our sector to being like this thing is really destroying us, um, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. So, so I take your point there. So, shifting gears, uh, talking about. And, and by
1: the way, if I could
0: <clears throat> wrap up, yeah, please. I am not
1: predicting that MSOS is going to drop in price. I, I, I think I said in one of the pieces that Tim Seymour's ETF is better rounded, and he has a good uh, track record. It's, it's not exactly the way I would run an ETF, but. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not trying to predict that MSOS is is going to go down. I'm just trying to tell the world that the way it's set up is not smart, in my view.
0: And you're saying that if you want to own cannabis stocks, there's a better way than owning this ETF. Right. Gotcha. So moving on, you also wrote a piece recently about GTI. And yep. I think you were saying GTI is a great company, but it's not yet the right time to buy it. Is that, is that right?
1: yeah and i I don't know if I was lucky, probably or smart, maybe. <laughs> I wrote about it at the beginning of the year, and uh, it had you know a decent amount of page views at, at seeking alpha. and uh, uh, I was looking at it uh, more you know three months later, and it was literally last week where I published this piece. Uh, and the stock still had not made a new low. and we've seen True for example, get blown up and I think that GTI uh, is lucky because a lot of people think it's the best. And I'm mm-hmm. not saying that it's the best. I'm not telling you it's not the best. It, it's good, but I'm not sure it's the best. And uh, I think that stocks like that can be subject to corrections and sentiment. And this week, wow, I, I, I looked like I was smart. Like I said, it was probably lucky. But uh, I like GTI. But they're not that different, in my opinion, from Cresco, and uh, I don't know if you're going to ask me about Cresco. Uh, we can get to to that later. If, but I will say I've written about Columbia Care. That is the way to play Cresco, if you ask me.
0: So let, let's just stick with GTI, and I want to talk yeah. about TrueLeave as well for a second. So when it comes to GTI, I feel like the way I've been thinking, and and I think how a lot of others have been thinking, is that there's a renewed focus more than ever on operational cash flow and safety in the balance sheet right? right and that's a an area where i think or two areas where gti is by far the leader you know some of well, the best well okay
1: i would agree with right. you that they are the leader but the by far part i'm going to disagree with okay i think that it, it they're a li- it's like being a little bit pregnant you can't be a little <laughs> okay. bit pregnant there except for planet 13 Which is not getting so much love right now. All the MSOs have struggled to sell equity, of course, Mm -hmm. and they've relied more on debt. Some more than others, and you're right, GTI a little bit less than others in the scheme of things.
0: Yeah, I I mean, from a debt perspective, GTI has relatively low, like overall debt. Yeah, Uh, and uh, and then from a operational cash flow perspective, um, have seem to have a pretty strong uh, or pretty stable amount of OCF over the year, despite all the challenges that we've had.
1: So I'm just, I can turn that into a little bit of a criticism too. Okay. Why why is their operating cash flow so much better? Because they're not blowing it on new markets. And I think that, you know, we just saw Curly, for example, pull out of some markets and uh, that's kind of dangerous to go get involved in a market and pull out. Mm -hmm. But I, I think that uh, GTI has been, and some people might credit them for this, but I think that when you're talking about cash flow, you should take into account they're not investing in new markets like some of the peers are.
0: Well, which markets are we talking about? Because Michigan, uh, Michigan, okay, fair enough. California,
1: sure. mm-hmm. which is not that new, but it's it's tough. So I, I think that I don't want to knock GTI too much, like like you said. I said that it's a good company. Mm-hmm. I do think it's a good company, but they are uh a little bit less aggressive on investing, I think. Now, to their credit, they bought in Minnesota uh the other, you know, not goodness growth or Vareo, but the other one, Leafline, mm-hmm. and that looked like it was going to be a great deal cuz one day Minnesota was going to legalize which looks like it's going to be pretty soon although it could be another New York so uh but I think that's a great state to get into and uh and they did that and they also um you know they've made some other investments so it's not like they don't invest but uh like they got into Virginia for example right
2: mm-hmm. so mm-hmm.
1: they are it's not I don't I don't mean to make it sound like I don't think they invest at all, but there are other people out there that are a little bit more aggressive, which costs money, I think.
0: Yeah, and so let's talk about that, right? It's it's not that you're saying GTI is a bad company. You're saying you're saying they're a good company. But your point is that the operational cash flow is being driven by avoiding more competitive states, right? So yes. California, Michigan. Now they are expanding in different states, but all limited license, right? So Rhode Island You know, they, they're, I think the only MSO there, um, Connecticut. I don't want to
1: insult any of your Rhode Island listeners, but who cares about (laughs) Rhode Island? Okay. I mean,
0: well, you might not care on the, on the top line side, but you know, whatever you're driving there is probably going to be pretty profitable. Yeah. Right. Hopefully. Right. And then, and then to compare GTI, you know, which you're, and to be fair, I mean, you were saying that, Hey, it's, it's still a little bit rich maybe compared to some of the peers. Looking at some projections for twenty three and twenty four, we're talking about trading at maybe, you know, five to five and a half times EBITDA versus which,
1: which is low, really low. Except right. there are lower.
0: <laughs> yeah, right, right. Except when you compare it to like True you're looking at something like three maybe and a half. Three and a half, right? Yeah. And and now, granted, these are very low, right? Historically for both companies. Right. Um, but that's a big difference. Three and a half to five, that's like, you know, a 33% or something difference, right? That's pretty substantial. So so let's compare that to, you know, if you look at the difference between those two companies, the first thing that stands out is Florida, right? I mean, truly is massive in Florida. Green Thumb is tiny in Florida. And that's tiny more- and,
1: and not doing anything about it. <laughs> so. right. and,
0: and we'll touch on that in a second. But the... Uh, in Florida is another market that has gotten a lot more competitive over the last year. And that's really hurt TrueLeave. So I'm curious, you, you wrote another piece talking about how you find TrueLeave quite attractive here. Can you yeah, just,
1: just, just so your list, hmm? listeners know the socks down a lot since I said that. So it's even more attractive now, but that's the way the cannabis market is, right? Totally.
0: Totally. So yeah. so maybe just walk us through your thinking. Why is Trueleaf more attractive than green thumb here?
1: So I've, so I have not been positive on TrueLeave that long, and I've been worried about, uh, and same thing with Verano, they, their margins are really higher than others. But I got to tell you, right now in 2023, the GTI projected margin is higher, believe it or not, than Trulieve. Mm-hmm. 31% for a, a EBITDA adjusted margin versus 297 now, first place or last place, depending on how you're looking at it, uh, Verano at 33.4, which makes no sense to me. And uh, looking at 2023 numbers, uh, so, you know, le- less than a year out, GTI trades at 5.6 times EBITDA on the enterprise value basis. And, they're, you know, they're being rewarded for their low debt in the high cash there. Uh, and uh, TrueLeave trades... At 3.9 times. So that's what you know in line with what you were saying earlier. And I think, you know, if you think about the the, the states that they're in, so yes, True Leave is big in Florida. And I can tell you something I think is very concerning about Florida, which I'll get to in a moment. But other than that, True Leave is not big in Illinois.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And they, they're both big in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And then True Leave is big in Arizona, which has been, I think, a kind of a flop. I think. Agreed. So, uh, you know, if if you think about, it, there's some overlap there and some differences, but um, I think that the valuation, I think what investors are doing is they're uh, kind of echoing what you said. They're looking at, ooh, the debt is very low at GTI. It's net debt's 177 million. And at, at Leave it's a little bit higher, $436 million, but so are the revenues. And mm-hmm. uh, so I, I think that's an issue. And I think also as the margins are coming down, uh, you know, the year over year growth at Leave is kind of scary. Their, uh 2023 EBITDA is supposed to fall 9%. GTI yeah, rise 9%. But that's already in the numbers. If you look out the next year, uh, the, uh, uh, I have it right here, it's not calculated, but GTI is supposed to grow about 10% and TrueLeave on, uh, EBITDA is supposed to fall again. So kind of, uh, a margin pressure at, at Leaf continuing. Now I am worried about Florida. Everybody out there is talking about how it's going to legalize and, yeah, you know, we've seen a disaster in New York. We've seen California be a disaster. So I'm not so sure, you know, we don't know exactly what legalization will look like if it does happen. That's number one. Number two, the state is one of the very few that's uh vertically integrated. Kind of like Canada. Who wants mm-hmm. to be like Canada? I would ask. But uh <laughs> but uh that if that goes away and they allow wholesaling in mass that would be bad for true leave i, I think uh, but my real concern is that the market is now a medical only market mm-hmm. which just fine but the number of new patients is is shrinking not the growth of the number it's so right now it's at a record low of 13. i think 8% from a year ago which is still good but uh down a lot from where it was and the number of people in that program uh the percentage of 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 uh the population is pretty high kind of a two percent rule so I, I can see why people are kind of nervous about true leave uh given what i'm seeing in florida uh I, I don't know
0: i think just to to touch on some of what you were saying i think if you know, the REC measure is such a binary outcome. And it has to go through the Supreme Court review, which is underway. Um, And in a world where there's no, you know, if this was just in a vacuum, and there was no larger political implication of it, then uh, I would say there's a very high chance that, you know, they get approved by the court, and you're off to the races to being on the ballot. Mm -hmm. But to talk about you know some news that we got on Friday or Thursday of GTI, so the uh, you know much uh, much heralded, much applauded, much uh, PR grabbing headline from from late last year was that GTI was going to partner with uh, Circle K, um, which is really kushchard, and was going to be able to expand their footprint in Florida uh, by doing these you know gas station uh, adjacent stores. Right. And, um, uh, we talked about that a little bit here. There was uh, a lot of headlines from that. They got a lot of, uh, positive, uh, positive press. They got a lot of new investor eyeballs because of the Kushchart affiliation. And, um, you know, the, the OMMU, uh, had some kind of response to public press inquiries saying, look, this structure doesn't work. It's on, un- it's not approved, etc." Um, and you know my thesis on it, uh, very basically, is that this got too big too fast, and it you know smells too much like recreational, and it probably uh, resulted in in the governor's office hearing about it, which mm-hmm. I think was probably made some angry phone calls to the Department of Health and said, "What the hell is going on over there?" Right. So uh, the new news that we have is uh, from this MJ Biz article, which basically is just saying that. Uh, they reached out to the OMMU for more information on this and the response they got back is that there's active litigation going on. So either that means that GTI is suing the OMMU or vice versa, but for whatever reason, this structure is being held up uh, in court. And what that signals to me, whether or not I'm right, I don't know, but what that signals to me is that the question around putting uh, cannabis on the ballot... Uh, it might prove politically inconvenient for somebody who's running for president in next year's election. Mm-hmm. And if they're able to uh, kibosh, yeah, yeah or, or kibosh it really, because kiboshing it would be delaying it till the next election cycle. But there's been a tremendous amount of money that Truly has put into this initiative. And if it gets killed by the Supreme Court, um, you know, whether or not that's legitimate, what are you going to do? Right. I mean, you're going to appeal it to the. You know, federal Supreme Court, right? Because that's the only people who will listen to you on this. Uh, so that's what concerns me, right? Is this idea that, and we'll find out the answer to this in the next twelve months or so. Uh, but that's what would concern me is that politically, they just might not want to pursue this initiative right now.
1: Well, from my perspective, number one, uh, Tard, Circle K not helping Fire and Flower at all. It mm-hmm. would seem. Uh, so I, I never. A, I didn't think it was even going to happen, and B, I didn't even think it would be that big of a deal. But second, I would point out that your concern about Florida not legalizing potentially would matter a lot if TrueLeave were highly valued, but it's not. So I, I think that you know, warn, you know, we don't need to warn people that Florida may not legalize and it could crush the stock. I don't sure. think that's the right answer.
0: I think just to close the point, I think that my concern is that what we've seen in Florida is a result of slowing patient growth, as you pointed out. Uh, new entrants coming online, you know, Jungle Boys, the Flowery, yep, uh, et cetera. You know, you got you got and, more choices and scaling
1: up by the existing ones. Some yep. of them,
0: yeah, totally, totally fair, and catching up to where truly it was right? right. So, so supply so it truly wasn't up. the only
1: game in town. And exactly, vertical. You got to be a supplier
0: yeah that's, that's a sell. great point that's a great point yep. so cat supply catching up to demand right the normalization and and that causing prices to come down slowly but then quickly um and that's been very very painful so if we don't get wreck um then i think that you could see further price compression now how low i mean it already is you know pretty low on flour but it could keep going um and, and if you have, you know, even more supply coming online with another 20 licenses set to be issued in the next year um, and you don't have REC, then, you know, it could, it could just continue to be very painful for Florida, right? So now to yep. your point, how much of that is already priced in, right? And, and maybe that's a, that's a fair comment that some of that is already priced in. Um, and, and lastly, for both GTI and TrueLeaf, it looks like Maryland will actually be able to come online July 1st. Right, and right. if that's the case, that is a uh, beneficial to the whole industry, but certainly to those two operators. Yep. Good point. Okay. So, uh, so just to wrap up, any final thoughts on on Truly, Alan?
1: No, you know, I I I, I like Kim. I think, uh, you know, I, I've kind of publicly stated our industry, the publicly traded companies, kind of suffer, in my opinion, from having CEOs that aren't exactly born to be CEOs and I would put her in that camp. She's a lawyer Mm -hmm. and she's not the only one, but we are talking about True Leave. But I think that she's done a good job. But her husband was put in jail, which is I think a really big challenge for her personally. I haven't heard her say anything, but I you know, I'm just imagining that, you know, good for her. She's doing a good job still, I think, with that pressure.
0: Fair, and uh, sorry. Actually, one one last point I wanted to ask you: How do you look at you know when we're when we're valuing these companies, we're looking at EV to EBITDA, right? Which for yeah, years, I know to a years,
1: lot of people think EBITDA is kind of messed up. Is that what your question is?
0: <laughs> yeah, I I mean, I, how, look, that's one metric, right? And for years, that was the dominating metric. How much do you balance that versus cash flow from operations?
1: So. Uh, as you probably know, I, I definitely look at cash flow from operations, the, and I I know that there are people out there that point to the some some companies have huge differences between adjusted EBITDA and, and actual EBITDA, mm-hmm. and uh, and so or, or you know other measures of of earnings. So I, I kind of laugh uh, at Tilray; they're always. Posting positive adjusted EBITDA, but burning cash. Sure. And and I don't quite get that. So I think, you know, there are people out there that use EPS and they're saying, this industry doesn't make any money. Because, But I think that's wrong. And I I, I get the sensitivity to using adjusted EBITDA. Uh, So I I don't, you know, I I do use it, but I, I also know, don't believe those numbers 100%.
0: Got it. Fair enough. Okay, understood. So talking about, uh, you know, you alluded to when we were talking about MSOS that there's some more interesting opportunities outside of the biggest operators, right? And one of them that uh, we spent a lot of time talking about, and you spent a lot lot of time talking about, um, are two of the smaller MSOs, which are Air and Ascend. Right. So I would love to kind of delve into this with you, kind of comparing and contrasting these two companies, um, and, and kind of how you look at the two of them compared to the larger operators in the space.
2: Okay.
1: So first full disclosure, uh, air is a client of new cannabis ventures. Okay. Uh, but that has literally nothing to do with what I'm going to tell you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, if I had something bad to say, I would say it. And I will say something that I think people think is bad, but I really like it. Okay. Whether they were our client or not, but I'm going to go alphabetically by uh, name and by symbol And start with Ascend, and uh, I have the market cap is 168 million, uh, and the enterprise value is 424 million, and that's you know less less than that's about a quarter of uh, GTI, so Hmm. that puts it in perspective. And uh, if you look at the same uh, ratio of enterprise value to EBITDA in 2023, it's uh, just slightly below truly but 3.8 times now i also think it's important especially on these smaller companies to understand that their ebitda margins are a little bit lower the the less mature a company is the the lower its margins could be
0: mm-hmm. and
1: over time it could go up more and in fact i told you that Nine percent is what's expected for GTI in 2023. Nineteen percent for Ascend. So it's trading at less than one times projected sales on enterprise value basis, and GTI at 1.7 times. So I I do see some opportunities there. I think that you know Ascend one of their states is Massachusetts, which can be tricky for mergers, and uh, you know because the state puts a cap on your production square footage. And uh, so if they were going to, you know, if, if one of the other MSOs wanted to buy them, it, they would have to dispose of of either their own assets or, or what they want to buy in Massachusetts. But I think there's another problem with that company that's worth mentioning, that, uh, you know, they're in uh, uh, Illinois and they already saw some of the impact from Missouri. And yeah. I, I think that you know, these are things that we can all be aware of, but it doesn't mean it's a zero. And I find that to be a well-run company. Of course, most of your listeners probably know this, but uh, back to my point about the people running these companies are not born CEOs. And I think Abner Curtin is a great example of that. He's a money guy. I'm mm-hmm. kind of a money guy too. And no, I wouldn't see myself as a CEO of a company. And, uh, you know, he got in trouble in Florida. And I think it was 100% uh, wrong with what ha- they said happened, but he stepped down. And now we have two other executives running the company on an interim basis while they try to hire a new CEO, which sounds like it could be later this year, not anytime soon.
0: Yeah. I mean, they've been looking for. I mean, a CEO to take over Abner's spot since uh, before the company went public. Right. So so (laughs) it's a very long search going on there. And, um, you know, I kind of struggle with this because, and that actually kind of brings us to AIR because, you know, AIR has this new CEO who comes from outside of the industry. And these quote unquote professional CEOs haven't really succeeded uh, in the industry, right? It's mostly That's been right. the founder CEOs who have been the best stewards of capital, uh, and and it, it it's I don't have a good answer to this, right? Who is the right CEO of a cannabis company? Uh, well, there's not many great examples that we have to point to uh, because uh, most of these have been very challenged, right? But it does seem that being able to have a Capital allocation background has been very important because there are so many financial decisions and capital allocation decisions in a capital-starved industry. Uh, If you end up misfiring, you know whether it's on M&A or or just you know deciding where to put your money, um, it could be a really negative spiral for the company, right? So it does seem like the capital allocators have done a pretty good job, and I would actually say, you know, for me, I feel more comfortable with you know, a Ben Kovler or a Kim Rivers um, at the helm of a company because you know they have skin in the game. They've been around since the beginning. They have, for the most part, avoided making any really disastrous decisions. They've avoided chasing the shiny objects, for the most part.
1: Yeah, they're uh, owner-operators. You're, you're right. And I'm not saying that that's bad, necessarily. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is that uh, when people invest in companies, they want management that is good management, not necessarily skin in the game. That's good, Mm -hmm. but more than that. In the right place, I don't want to name names like Ben Kovler. I'm not saying he should be stepping down, going to the board of directors and getting uh, someone in there. Maybe. I'm not saying that, though. But I I will tell you that your comment, I agree with it, that there, there has not been a good experience of people coming from outside the industry into it. But I would add that A, the industry has been very challenged in a lot of ways. And sure. B, the stocks even more so. So yeah. no, you, no one's gonna win in that scenario, I don't think. And you know, look at Graham F. I know you don't want to talk about it that much, but you know, they brought in an outsider. Well can you imagine trying to run a company in California right now? And so you know I don't want to say that, that Troy is bad he seemed like a good guy mm-hmm. but no he he took on a, a position I wish he I I think he wishes he had never even taken and now they're trying to merge we'll see if that goes through but uh let's shift back to air mm-hmm. and to because uh I I think you wanted me to compare and contrast yeah it please, please so I think uh like you pointed out they have a new CEO and my point would be uh instead of looking at how poorly it's worked out when new CEOs have come in, just give the guy the amount of time he needs to really learn the industry. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then you can assess them. But I, I think, um, you know, they've had some turnover there. And John Sandelman uh, has, you know, I, I put him in that same camp, uh, not a CEO type, although he yep. was in management at Bank of America. But, uh, so I, I think that, you know, Jen Drake just left. She was there from the beginning mm-hmm. and I think somebody else left too. Um, uh, so w- when comparing and contrasting it to a, a SIND, besides both being A's, they have a lot in common. The market cap at air wellness I get is 46 million. That's wow. tiny. And they have a ton of debt compared to that mm-hmm. 363 million, but, uh, that's actually not the highest. True leave is higher, but um, I think you know their their sales are, are running about a third. So uh, relative to the revenue, it's their debt is sixty nine percent of their uh, twenty twenty three revenue and projected revenue. And uh, I don't think that's the end of the world, by the way. But it is the highest, and I think what's going on with Air is that people are just assuming that we're going to stay in this terrible world that we seem to be in right now and mm-hmm. that they're not going to be able to pay the debt. Now, AIR is doing things, and they, they're they not necessarily pre-looking, but they exited Arizona. They took a loss. They got out of a deal in Illinois, and I don't know what else they're going to do, but I don't think that debt is going to end up burying the company. It's not due until... Beginning in 2024.
0: Yeah, I, I think, uh, I'm sorry, do you mean end of 24?
1: Uh, I'm not exactly sure when it's, it's not the beginning though. Right. I, I don't, I don't have it on, written down here. But, right. Okay.
0: Yeah. I, I think it's the back half of 24. So it's like about yep. a year, a year and a half away. More so than I, a year. Yeah. Yeah. So I take your point. One thing that I think is also a concern with air is that they have a earnout payment for the New Jersey deal. Yeah. Uh, Garden State. Garden State. Yep. And that could be now. Nobody knows how big that could be, right? But that could be up to 200 million. And you know, to your point, the market cap today is like 40, 50 million, right? So that's even a lot if of shares. <laughs> yeah, even if it's 50 million, I mean, that's a gigantic earnout in shares, right? Um, so that would be very problematic, right? And that would uh, dilute the company significantly. Well,
1: I don't know uh, exactly how it will be resolved, but I will say that these people at Garden State. Uh, Will probably uh, negotiate with them to make something that makes sense. They they can't just take three quarters of the company. Air, Air could do something if that were going to happen anyway.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you. Right, it's most likely outcome is some kind of negotiated settlement. Now, you know, yeah. maybe that's maybe that's uh, taking back partially a note. Maybe it's some cash and some stock. Right, but uh, but and again, how big is the earnout? We don't know right? Yep. So that that also is a big factor in all of this, um, but certainly an overhang, right? But So so talk to us about, um, if you have there, just how it looks on an EV to EBITDA basis. Going yeah, forward. I was
1: about to give you that. So it, it's only 3.3 times. It's way lower than all the peers even ascend at
0: 3.8. Got it. And let's just talk conceptually about
1: and just so your listeners know, that's not the market cap compared to the EBITDA. That's the enterprise value. That's adding the debt. Now, I, I think maybe uh, I'm not considering the earnout as debt. Uh, I know when I look at the balance sheet, all, all these MSOs for the most part have negative tangible equity. So I, I know I see it there, but I'm mm-hmm. not sure. I'm not sure I consider that. Well, I'm, I'm sure I don't consider that in this calculation as part of the debt.
0: Yeah, fair and and the point, like now if we go back to you know the your EV multiple and compare that to TrueLeave, and and say let's say let's just make up numbers and or just round it a little bit and say let's say airs at three times right, and let's say TrueLeave at three and a half times. Some people would say, well, you know what, for that kind of difference, I would rather go with uh, TrueLeave, and I have a big company, I sleep better at night, has better scale, um, certainly has proven themselves more than Air right? Mm-hmm. But I think what we can kind of miss there is that um, the, if if both companies trade up to five times, right? Um, it, because Air's EV is mostly made up of debt, right? It's like probably yeah, 90%. Yeah, the equity
1: debt. return would be fantastic.
0: You're right. right. If That's you get a, a hundred million, if you add a hundred million dollars onto the EV, it goes all to the equity, right? So the equity, right, right. the equity goes from forty million to one hundred and forty million. That's right. very beneficial for the share price, right? Right. Um, whereas with truly, if you're just not getting the same, you know, return, the same pop on the equity, still could be great, right? But but not the same as as air. That's the tricky part to figure out, though, with air, right? Every you look at it, you go, man, this thing just screams cheap. Uh, but somebody said to me a long time ago that, you know, cheap is as cheap does. Right. And uh, yes, it's cheap, but that doesn't mean you're going to be rewarded for it. Right. So that's the one I think error to me stands out as the one that's so hard to figure out because it's very, very tempting, especially if you're, you know, something of a bottom feeder like me. Uh, but you look at it and you go, you know, what am I missing here? Right. What is the market trying to tell me about this company?
1: Yeah, I hear you.
0: So just, just to, to kind of close it off, comparing Air and Ascend versus the large MSOs. So obviously what we just talked about, the fact that the uh, market capitalization is quite low um, in comparison to the equity value. So if those companies start going the right way, you're going to get a lot more pop on the uh, market cap and the share price than you would from the other guys. But in general, Alan, what is it uh, otherwise that you like about those two companies as compared to the larger ones?
1: Well, so it's really hard in the cannabis industry, I think, because of all the state rules. And we've seen this with Columbia Care, for example. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, it could be Columbia Care was a tier two. These guys are tier two. And it could be that somebody might try to acquire them. Now, I I think that's a hard thing to bet on. But uh, they're not in every state. And there are some states like Massachusetts or Pennsylvania, where it could be challenging. But uh, I, I think that's, you know, somebody in the comment section, of that GTI article told me that Ben Kovler in the management, they're going to just buy out GTI. And I'm like laughing, I'm like, okay, where are they going to get the money? Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, these other companies could maybe be acquired much more likely than a big company. Now, We can talk later about what really might happen uh, in the world, which would be really good. Uh, The two things I always talk about that might happen, I can't predict them, but getting rid of 280E and being able to list on the NASDAQ and the New York Stock Exchange, those would change the world for these MSOs, I think. And I think it would really help the second tier MSOs.
0: Well, let's talk about that right now. So, Uh, I guess, two things, right? Removal of 280E and uplisting. So 280E, I guess presumably that would come from rescheduling to Schedule 3 or lower?
1: Yeah, well, I think uh, it really matters a lot how it happens. But no matter how it happens, getting rid of 280E would be a cash flow injection to the industry. Uh,
0: Agreed. But what is the most logical path for that happening, uh,
1: well, if you talk to the people in the industry, they're like, "We think that this is going to get resolved in the Supreme Court." I'm like, "Yeah, right." <laughs> but it may, maybe they are right, but I'm not holding my breath on that. And and we know that Biden gave the world a, a bunch of crap when he let out the four people or whatever that were convicted at federal level. But um, he did he did say that he they're studying the reschedule the scheduling mm-hmm. and. It could be that the DEA changes, but if it goes from one to two, it wouldn't matter at all. Mm-hmm. If it goes from one to three, that would get rid of uh, 280E. So but rather than just look at the positive of that, having the DEA call it Schedule 3, to me sounds like, okay, FDA, step in. Mm. And I don't think anybody in the industry Wants to see the the THC industry turn into the CBD industry mm. because the the federal uh, the FDA has failed
0: there. Got it. Got it. And say, I guess, same question, but for uplisting, right? And you know, we're we're waiting to see what happens with Terrace End and their their TSX uplisting plan. Well, no, uh,
1: I would say the right way to say that you're, you're close. We're waiting to see on Canopy Growth. That is the big one. Okay. Because they have pending acquisitions in the US that they will do if they can keep their NASDAQ listening. Now, gun to my head, no, they're not going to be able to do that. But hmm. if they do, is it good for Canopy? No. Because, you know, wanna brands, okay, whatever, but the other thing's not so great in my opinion jetty extracts and uh, acreage. But more importantly, if they can do that and be on the NASDAQ, then Curaleaf and GTI and Trueleaf and Cresco, et cetera, can get on the NASDAQ. And wow, would that open the door for new investors.
0: So let's talk about that real quick. So let's say Canopy, which you're, you're saying you're, you don't think they'll be able to, but let's say Canopy can um can pull this off, right, with yep. their pending acquisitions. So that green lights a structure for the other MSOs. I think so. And that, I think and, it would
1: be really hard for the NASDAQ to say, nope, no, nope, nope. It's only canopy.
0: Right, right. And that would be, you're saying that would be not not necessarily the, the Terracent TSX uplisting. We'd be talking about a path for Nasdaq uplisting for yes. all the plant touching companies. Yeah. And what do you think that would that would do for them? Because going to you know, another name on the on the list here, Weed Maps, right? It's not like there's no cannabis companies on okay, the. Okay, you're right,
1: but but the cannabis companies, nobody gives a crap about ancillary companies, sadly. I think, and as a matter of fact, I was going to complain about you having this entire focus be on MSO so far, <laughs> but I remembered you you said we were going to talk about WM technology, but this is what. Investors do. I want to invest in a cannabis company. Okay. How about WM Technology? It's not cannabis. Okay. Mm. But so I I disagree with that. And uh, people that read me know that I care about ancillary companies and I care about some Canadian LPs as good investments. But uh, I think that, you know, to look at the NASDAQ listed names and not say, oh, but they're not really cannabis companies and not take that into account is a mistake.
0: So, sorry, say say that last part again about...
1: I think that, you know, for the point you were trying to make is, well, it's not helping WM technology. Mm -hmm. You have to remember that most investors in this space, the retail investors, if you look at, you know, popularity of stocks uh, in a lot of different ways, it's the cannabis producers and retailers, Mm. not... The ancillary companies
0: so you think that a if we get the green light and obviously this would be great right we would love for the msos to be able to uplist
1: yeah they'll be able to sell some stock finally <laughs> yeah hopefully right theoretically
0: right, right um but it doesn't seem to be helping okay fair enough you know weed maps is in its own category but what about you know high tide for example right you know it's a retailer you know, granted, Canada only in Canada. <laughs> granted, in Canada oh, it, only, it, it's but CDD still, CBD
1: in the US, but
0: yeah, yeah. But ho- I guess the the hope is that uh, the US plant touching operators would be looked at differently and would get some attention, get some love. You know, if if the you know the business models are not what they were, you know, two years ago when they were just printing cash and having excellent growth, and we were seeing great operating margins and operational cash flow almost to a name, you know, companies are burning money. And to me, that's what's causing the heartburn and the trepidation from investors. Because once you're burning money, you know, you're in the the bucket of companies that are losing money. um, And investors just don't have the appetite to fund those losses today, like they had before. Right. Right? So that's what worries me that yes, you can get to the NASDAQ. Yes, you can get better access. Yes, you can get better uh, access to capital, hopefully. But will the investors be there if you're not making money?
1: So I think the secret here is, are we talking about more retail investors? No. I'm okay. talking about institutional investors. Okay. And I used to be one. Uh, I, I worked at a, a, a firm that managed half a billion dollars, mid-cap growth, and we were not allowed to buy OTC names at all. And we never would have bought even on the TSX, no, we didn't hmm. buy Canadian listed companies. Now, I'm not saying that there's a lot of companies like that. I, I'm i sure that there are. But uh, I think that there's a lot of challenges for institutional investors, but that is one of them, the fact that they trade OTC.
0: Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay, fair enough. So institutional investors hopefully step up. And get some appetite for these companies as they cross over to the NASDAQ.
1: That's my hope. If you know, I don't, like I said earlier, I can't tell you when it's going to happen, but one day it will. And it will be good when it happens.
0: And look to your point. I mean, the wheels are in motion with canopy growth and separately with Terrasend Uh, different exchanges, right. But, but separate processes in motion and, any day we could wake up and see a news release saying hey this has been greenlit this has been approved and you're going to get i think a pop in all the stocks
1: yeah i mean I, the way i look at it truthfully is at first it'll pop and then all the people that are long now looking to get out and they can't get out they'll sell into it <laughs> but uh, so that'll be the chance to buy i think
0: okay fair enough so moving on uh, you mentioned columbia care and cresco and yep. you know it makes sense to talk about them together so let's talk about them together uh, the the gap between the two from an arb perspective has really widened oh uh, yeah
1: i mean i wrote about how wide it was and it's much wider now and it makes no sense to me uh when i look at columbia care by itself if the mm-hmm. deal doesn't go through i think that there's a higher valuation than currently a pretty good one actually it, it's not as good as uh ascend or or air, but a good one, better than Cure Leaf and GTI, for example. But if the deal does go through at the current price, wow, that would be great. My best guess is, and it wouldn't be the first time that, that uh, Cresco changes things. Uh, that's what happened uh, with the origin house deal, that the price was changed. But that's my, my best guess is that they cut the price by 10 to 15% from 0.5579 to, you know, maybe like 0.48 or something like that. And that would be a huge home run from the 0.333 consideration now.
0: It's an interesting one, right? Because I think that Columbia care on its own would be a real problem. Uh, I, you know, I I take your point, but I I just think that it's, first of all, I I agree with you. I think the deal will go through. Um, I mean, they've spent over a year at this point trying to, get all the regulatory approvals which just shows you how brutal M&A is in the sector because of the regulatory hurdles. Yep. Um you know for context, you know BMO Bank in Canada acquired Bank of the West in the US and it was a 15 billion dollar acquisition and required a lot of regulatory approvals because it's a bank buying a bank and that took Inter- one international, right? Right, and it took that took I think a year and 3 months from the oh, wow. definitive LOI. And you know that compare that to <laughs> Columbia Care and Cresco, and we're at roughly a year and three months now on that deal, and and still we don't know what the you know out timing is on that, right? So, um, the but I, I take your point. It's an interesting. The arb is so wide, and yet I have to think this deal is going to close. It's just I think that separately these companies are in such a worse position than if they're together, and. Yes, the overlap—you know—selling those assets is very difficult. Is P Diddy still there for New York and the other assets? Who knows? But even if they get less, right? I mean, bringing any cash in the door today is very positive. Right, allows you to pay down debt, allows you to hopefully you know keep some of those dollars um, for for your operating um, for your operating budget. So I, I have to think there's something here. Um, but again, it's one of those things where you sort of scratch your head and you say, "Does the market know something that I don't know?"
1: So I I, I, my, I guess the way I look at it, I I think your question is a good question, but I think it's not the right question here. I think the right question is why the hell isn't anybody stepping up an ARB fund? But no, there, there's no funds out there that are playing, and so uh, people don't like Columbia Care. In, for whatever reason. And I can tell you from an analyst perspective, their margins are low compared to the other companies. They're lower mm-hmm. than Asin. They're lower than Air. They're lower than Cura Leaf, uh, which is a little bit low. And, uh, and I think, you know, the company was a little bit late to get on the EBITDA margin bandwagon, mm-hmm. and, but it is improving. And, uh, their, their EBITDA is supposed to go up uh, 43% in 2023. But, so it's a higher growth, but off of a lower base. Sure, And I, I think that, you know, when people look at the company, you know, they they see it trading at 5.4 times 2023 EV EBITDA. And that sounds high, right? <laughs> but, uh it's basically similar to GTI, but it's not GTI. But no, the margins are a lot lower, and they can go up over time.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Fair point. So I think one of the themes I'm hearing from you, and I think this has actually been a way that I've I've heard you talk in general over the years, is that you prefer companies that have lower margins, but you feel they can go up as opposed yeah, and it, to it, the opposite. just because
1: they're low doesn't mean they can go up. But yes, the answer to your question is yes. Right. I, I would much rather buy uh, a lower margin company that can go up than a higher margin company that can go down. So the truth of the matter, though, is some of the high margin companies out there in the world, I'm not saying cannabis, they are doing something special and can keep that high margin, right? I'm I'm not seeing that so much in cannabis,
0: and that for a long time was a knock against True Leaf, right? That the margins are yeah. too high and they're going to come yep. in. But for years and years, they actually managed to, uh, I think, grow their top line enough and keep their margin. You know, it came down, but not that much, right? Until right. recently, it kind of then the wheels fell off uh, the bus and the margins came down in a hurry, yep. right? And and that uh, that was a challenge, obviously, right? But um it it seems for us at least that margins are more a factor of just the markets that you're in and if yep. those markets are healthy um and the prices remain strong then you're doing well right and that's today that would you know illinois depending on where you are uh um, new jersey obviously a big big help um connecticut we'll probably we'll see in q1 starting companies that are have a good presence there um and until recently you know it was it was florida And before that, Pennsylvania, right? So, as I guess this is is a question for you. How do you look at this industry with all the price compression that we've had? um, How do you look at this and not be more bearish on the outlook of these companies? You know, as prices are lower, are we just doomed to have lower margins?
1: Yeah, that's a good question, and uh, I don't really spend a lot of time trying to forecast margins. Uh, It's really not my expertise, and. Uh, I will say that, uh, uh, back to the point you're making, then I'll get back to this. You know, you, you said that, you know, it depends on which states you're in. And, mm-hmm. and I, I think there's uh, two issues there. How's the state regulated? How many players are there? Sure. And how's it going to change would be the third industry. Uh, sure. But, uh, to your point about how can we not just go down lower and lower and lower on margin, uh, So I think that uh, we, this year, not 2023 necessarily, but last year, I should say, 2022 and part of 2021 were kind of payback for what happened in 2020. And nobody, not even me, was out there right when the pandemic hit predicting Margins are going to go up. Revenue is going to be high. Right. This is great. No, but that's what happened. And, uh, you know, it was in hindsight, it was pretty easy to see what happened. People weren't going in their office and being drug tested.
2: Mm-hmm. They had
1: money. They couldn't spend it anywhere.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And cannabis consumption was good. And so I think that, uh, you know, we've seen the, the illicit market kind of pick up. In, in certain states like mm-hmm. California, for example and I think that uh, you know the economy uh, has changed in a way where uh, you know co- competition in general is higher, uh, especially from the illicit market. And I think that you know we talked earlier about how, you know, Leave was the one and only game in Florida, big time game, but other people are scaling up there and in other states. And as companies get more mature and scale up, they they can cut their prices. They're getting better margins. And so I think that basically the, what we've seen with the, the pricing pressure isn't necessarily a long term thing. It's more of a consequence of uh, industry. I mean, uh, yeah, industry maturation a little mm-hmm. bit, but more COVID run up being reversed.
0: Some normalization from you know a really big run up that we had in 2020.
1: Yep, and, and into 2021. Yep, and, and you know just on the big picture stuff, I think that the world made a big mistake. Not me, but the world. I, I I made a big mistake <laughs> in not knowing how bad it would get. I will admit that. But the world made a mistake getting all excited in early 2020. Yay, the Democrats, they're going to legalize. They've got control. No, they didn't really because you need 60 senators to control the Senate. And anyway, even if they had the votes, it's so complicated. We wouldn't have gotten anything that great, even with the supermajority. So I think that the world made a big mistake running these stocks up as much as it did in February. And and unfortunately, right now, what we're looking at is everybody's underwater, and there are better opportunities in the world these days, like 6% on CDs or, you know, money, short term money, gigs, I guess, and other things that look better to people. Lots of, you know, uh, in my own personal account, I don't trade cannabis stocks personally, mm-hmm. uh, which is good right now, but no, it's not really except for ethically, I I agree with it ethically, but uh, uh, I own stocks, a a couple of stocks in retail that don't have much debt, not at all, and they're trading below tangible book value and they're making money, go figure. And so the world is opening up uh, opportunities for investors and the cannabis investors who thought they were getting a good deal in February 21, you know, here we are two years and two months later, and they still can't get out without creating a new all-time low,
0: right? Right, and we're all living through that, right? Yep. Um, so, so switching uh, as we're coming to the end here, I want to get to a last, some of the last one. So, okay. um, you mentioned uh, Graham F, and uh, I actually think that's worth chatting about. So, let's chat about that and Glasshouse, right? So, both both California companies, very different strategies. Um, you know, Gram F has just been this melting ice cube of of cash, which is getting lower and lower kind of every right. quarter. Um, I actually am an investor in Gold Flora. So uh, I'm actually paying attention oh, wow. to, to Gram F for once. That's good uh, to hear. Yeah. It's, listen, it's it's definitely. How did you find out
1: about Gold Flora? Uh,
0: they did a raise through Canaccord, I think back in like 2019. Oh, so like that's, that. that's how I originally got introduced to it. And, uh, actually a year ago, I went and visited their facility, uh, in, uh, desert hot springs. Well, I'm so, a big
1: Lori Holcomb fan and I, I spoke to her recently and, uh-huh. uh, expressed kind of my views and listened to her views. And, uh, I, uh, used to follow Graham F closely. I don't follow Graham F closely or Glasshouse closely, but I, I do know enough to talk about them. And, uh, I will tell you that the investors at Graham F know that their company is worth a lot more than the thing because of their cash. And they're kind of worried about, I don't think that they necessarily understand that it could be a good merger. Actually, I, I think it would be a good merger. And they uh, they may vote against it. I don't know. Uh, so we don't know if the deal's going to close.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, right? I mean, as a as somebody on the other side of the transaction, you go, okay, look, this gets us public, which I guess there's, you know, some value to. Um, and it's hard to raise money right now, right? Yep. So, you know, there's there's definitely a lot of value to the cash sitting in that account. Um, but the other side of the story is that if you look at it, um, the company has uh am just gonna pull it up here. The company has, you know, a dwindling cash pile and they're burning money pretty aggressively. Right. Yeah, so they, well, they
1: just they just cut off their payments to Jay Z. So
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yeah, I mean, listen, that's I that'll help, right? But at the end of the day, this, this is a company that's burning something like 20 million a quarter. Right. So whatever they have today, or when they announce that deal, you're you're probably, you know, 20 to 40 million lower than that by the time you actually close. Um, and then obviously it takes time to get in there and try to right size the business too, right? Yeah. So so, no doubt the cash is valuable, but at the end of the day, how much is actually going to be left by the time you close a deal? Like, that's, or that's if really you don't works. close it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? that's, that's what worries me. Right? right. Um, and it was 93 million at, at year's end. Um, and, you know, they burned, they burned roughly 71 million, uh, just in OCF for 2022. Yeah. Yep. Right. So, we're already, what, three months through the year? So, um, you know, at that rate, you know, you, you could be talking about having, I don't know, you know, 70, 60 million by the time you actually close.
1: Yep. Well, I will say that Graham F seems to be very cheap, but I said that like when it was a dollar, I think. And no, I don't own it. I, I took it off my uh, focus list. And uh, and even now, it's not in the index for two reasons, unfortunately. One, it's below We used to have a dollar minimum. Now we have 50 cent minimum, and it's nowhere close to that. And two, it doesn't really trade enough. And when I saw that deal get announced, I was kind of worried that the stock was going to run up. And it just sat there on low volume. And then it turned around and went south. And uh, so I think a great opportunity is potentially being created. And I will be very interested if their shareholders vote to approve the deal.
0: Okay. Interesting. Okay. Last name here before we get to the end, uh, can, Canadian name. One oh, that you've... What about
1: Glasshouse? Though?
0: Oh, sorry. Yeah, you're right. Glasshouse. I'll, I'll
1: go fast on Glasshouse. So, yeah, please. First of all, I like, uh, the, the CEO there. Mm-hmm. And I think he catches a lot of crap because he used to be a policeman busting people for drugs, but Kyle's not like that anymore. He is a good guy who's really a believer I think some people think too much of a believer in the industry and in the rights of people. But and then he has somebody there that I've never met before that is running kind of operations. And uh, I don't really have a problem, per se, with Kyle and, and with Graham, but I do have a problem with their investors and not really them, just their conclusion. They seem to like Glasshouse because it's going to export from California. And I just don't see that happening soon. And uh, uh, believe it or not, they kind of are. Uh, I don't know exactly how this works. It it could be as simple as the legal distributors in California are buying it and illegally shipping it. I'm not sure that's it. It could be counterfeit. But the the Glasshouse products are in other states like New York. Yeah. And uh, I think that's... The bigger problem is that their investors are counting on revenue in the future coming from interstate commerce. And I'm not sure when that's going to happen or even if.
0: Yeah. And and I had a chance to tour that facility uh, about a year ago um, and got to meet Graham. And uh, the facility is phenomenal. I mean, it's Uh it's really, you know, the future of cannabis. Yeah, but it's not
1: the way to do cannabis. A big room like that, that's kind of scary. Usually you should break it up, I think.
0: I think, uh, I'll just say from my perspective, I think if you see it, um, it, it's very, very impressive what they're doing there. It's, uh, it's not, uh, it's not like anything else I've seen on the East coast. Um, and I think the, the climate, uh, and the facility, um, it's very, very impressive. I just don't know if given how difficult California is, you'll be able to get to the other side of this thing, um, with, with with this equity being, you know, intact, right. Without, without having to blow itself up or whatever. Um, But the operation itself, I think is phenomenally impressive. Um, You know, certainly it's a very impressive cost of goods sold as well. Uh, But it again, just shows you how hard California is where you're talking about wholesaling some of this stuff. I think at, I'm going to get the number wrong now. I think it's like 150 bucks a pound you know, to 200 bucks a pound. I mean, these are very, very low Low numbers. numbers, Yeah. Right. We're talking 30 cents to 50 cents a gram. Um, Now, granted, that's that's wholesale. Right. But uh, but still, I mean, these are these are very difficult numbers uh, to survive at. Right. So given the current environment, I just don't like that's why I haven't owned it. It's just hard to get your head around what it's how it's going to look like, you know, in order to get to the promised land and if it will make it there. Um, But certainly you can. You know, when you tour it, you kind of get the idea that, yeah, you know, this this indoor regional, you know, growing uh, indoor in, uh, you know, southern Illinois in the middle of the winter is probably not that efficient (laughs) compared to some of this stuff out here.
1: Right. Well, I will tell you that uh, after my tragedy, I decided a big life change that was necessary was to remain a workaholic, but to take real vacations. And I took my wife to San Francisco for a week. Mm-hmm. It was coincidentally the Hanukkah week, okay. uh, the season of miracles. We mm-hmm. were celebrating our miracle. And, uh, and my next trip to California is going to be to go to Santa Barbara and see them. And Kyle has been hounding me. But I told him, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. There's a lot of reasons for me to go to Southern California. And that's one of them. Absolutely. And I look forward to it.
0: Absolutely. Okay, very quickly, last name before we wrap up. Uh, Canadian name, OGI Organigram. Tell us about this.
1: So I think that this is, uh, for liquid names that are in the index, the best name in cannabis. Hmm. And I have a model portfolio. Uh, It's the largest position in there. And uh, I, I think that they have a lot of cash, no debt. This is a big change from three years ago when they, uh, or two years ago when they did that deal. And I think that they're growing their revenue. They have positive adjusted EBITDA. There's a lot of things. I like their CEO. I don't give her much credit at all for getting Supreme sold to Canopy. I think she just happened to walk into that, but I think she is a good person and kind of, uh, in line with what we talked about earlier, that the, People that have come from out of the industry haven't done well. If you look Mm -hmm. at their stock price, no, she's not doing well. But yes, operational, she's done very well. And I liked Greg, the CEO before, but he was not the right CEO for an adult use company, in my opinion.
0: Got it. And what's it going to take for people to care about a Canadian LP?
1: Well, I think I used to really like Canada. I still really like Canada as a, as a country, and I like some Canadian LPs like Organogram, like Kronos Group, and Village Farms. I like Organogram the best. But to get other people involved, I think uh, a few things could happen. Um, Number one, the ability of these companies to get into the United States. Well, I don't know if that's going to happen or not. Number two, uh, a change in the rules. Canada has some really stupid rules. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, if you want to sell your your cannabis, you have one buyer, the the province Mm -hmm. in most provinces. And that's a kind of a dumb rule, I think. Mm -hmm. Even dumber, if you want to sell edibles, there's a 10 milligram. THC cap per package, mm-hmm. and I used to laugh at Oregon, which is a pretty hip state. Uh, they had a 50 milligram cap. Everybody else is a hundred. Mm-hmm. So no, Canada's really low, and uh, it's it's it matters, believe it or not. So I, I think some rule changes there would help. Uh, the ability to get in the U.S. would help, but I think, truthfully, Manish, the way it works is if there was an acquisition now at a decent price of, of another company, people would look at that and say, what's next? Well, we're not mm-hmm. in that environment right now. But mm-hmm. if we get in that environment, I think people could get interested in Canada.
0: Got it. Okay. Alan, I'm going to leave you with the last word here before we sign off. What would you like to leave the listeners with?
1: Oh, I could apologize for not predicting how bad it was gonna get, but I, I'm human, who knows? And I can tell you, uh I, I don't think I've ever pumped the industry. I, I'm not really I, I can't make money telling people that they're gonna go up when they're not, and I, I I've never done that, I don't think. But uh what I would say to people is that uh to me this is unprecedented. And I uh, like I, I think I told my niche before we started, uh if somebody said to me, what do I need to buy right now? It would not be a cannabis stock that would come to my mind. Mm. I don't see a near-term catalyst. Does that mean that you should short the sector? No, things can change. I think they will change. I can't tell you when or exactly how. And so what I would say to people is don't sell as stupidly low price, even if it's going to go lower. And I, I, I said before, to people that were subscribers at 420 Investor, don't buy too much ever. Don't, and, you know, nowadays I, I would say that it's still, it's like nobody should put all their money into cannabis, period. Right. Mm-hmm. And I would tell people, if you're investing in cannabis, don't put all your money into MSOs. Don't put it on the uh, LPs. Don't put it all in the ancillary. There are plenty of good stocks that you can build a very diversified portfolio in cannabis, and that's what I urge you to consider doing. And not be in a huge hurry necessarily.
0: Well, that is um, very sobering but truthful advice. So certainly appreciated, Alan. Uh, As a reminder to everybody, uh, Alan's 420 Investor on Seeking Alpha is opening to the public on May 15th. Alan, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a very nice chat. Happy 420, everybody. CINpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time.